The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are merely an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibility for the stories contained herein. I'm Kendra Sheets. And I'm Rich Gill. And this is Enough, a podcast which aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn, our community. Content warning. This podcast may contain frank and graphic descriptions of sexual abuse and assault, including instances of rape. These accounts can be triggering specifically for those who have also experienced trauma, especially of a sexual nature. If at any point during this podcast, you feel yourself getting triggered, we suggest taking a break and taking care of yourself before continuing. But we do ask that you continue. These conversations are mentally taxing, but they are so important to have. Thank you. Welcome to episode six of the Enough podcast. Uh, Today, we have our guest uh, who has chosen to remain anonymous. We will be referring to them as Red. Red, would you like to introduce yourself and explain kind of how you got involved in the music scene and why you're on the podcast today? Hi, thanks, Kendra. So I started playing guitar when I was about 14 years old. I saw a band play at a youth group that I was at and they were all women and I'm like hey I want to do that I ended up getting a guitar and that's pretty much how I started getting into the music is just like having a guitar not being very good at it getting into punk because obviously you can play music when you're not very good in a punk scene so naturally I just kind of fell into that and then there were some all-age venues in town so I just started going to those all-age venues and eventually being able to play them. I guess kind of started out when I was about 14. The first band I was in was actually some kids from my youth group and one of the first practices, the bass player told me it looked like I was masturbating when I played my guitar. Whether it was somebody's girlfriend saying like, hey, you can't play music with my boyfriend. And I'm like, I really just want to play music. Or trying to jam with somebody and them assuming that uh, you want to have sex with them. So just that kind of being like the underlying mood and tone to trying to find a place in the space called punk rock and for the most part the all ages scene was we're talking like anywhere from 2005 to 2011 here you know this is 2012 this is the time span that we're talking about we all know like things were pretty bad back then super misogynistic and just creepy time and just punk rock and music in general It took this interesting turn right around that time in like the early 2000s where it became so much more accessible than it was already becoming in the 90s when you had the addition of like Rancid or Green Day. And then you got, you know, like your Simple Plan, your Blink-182, your Sun 41. And that brought in a whole nother kind of crop of people to the pop punk genre or punk in general. Because I feel like men and their emotions were being more recognized at the time too. And while that was healthy, not having the proper tools to know how to deal with the emotions that they just discovered existed and were okay to have. We're definitely hurtful to uh, other 
types of people. They are in touch with their emotions, but like, fuck you, Betty, you stupid bitch. And that was mostly like a lot more like emo music and stuff. So naturally, I kind of shifted more towards punk because there were more women. There were more people that looked like me. And so naturally, that's the way I went, because that's the space that was a little bit more accepting. I would play the DIY spots, the all-ages spaces, but there came a time where this shift happened where I found myself more in the bar scene. I was over 18 at this time, but still under 21 you know, still like an adult minor. I was in like my high school band and I got a message on MySpace from this guy that wanted me to try out some vocals. So he said he liked my voice and that he wanted me to try out for this project he was working on. So I ended up trying out. He liked my voice. I ended up playing a show. It went really well, and he asked me to be in the band. And while kind of just like being in that space and being around these people that seem like they have like more professional way of handling things, of being in a band, of booking shows, and when I would play shows with this band, I was only allowed into the bar to play the show and then I had immediately had to leave. I would have these men catcalling me and trying to get me drinks. It was weird because it was almost like I was put on this platform but then also like had very little power control over my environment or what was happening around me too. For clarification, how how old were the were the people that you were playing with at this and the person who like reached out to you? So the person that had reached out to me was in his early thirties. And you were nineteen. And I was nineteen. That's a lot of emotional and mental growth. There wasn't a lot of representation in that area at that time. And so there was just this mentality of being the other all the time not only being worlds apart in age but also being this other and trying to fit into the space that just was not appropriate at all for for me and you know like or women or anybody other than a straight white man (laughs) and you're doing this because like you had said before you have this love you just wanted to play you wanted to be a part of something you wanted to do something and as soon as you're done doing your thing you have to be removed from the space. Like you don't get to hobnob around with people. You don't get to make the social connections that some of these other people have had over the course of years of doing this. You literally go on stage, the curtain, you know, draws in theory, you play, you do what you do, the curtain closes, and then you're removed from the locale. Like, Right. I mean, oftentimes I would just be hawkeyed through my whole set by like a bouncer or something and then just like escorted out. And at the time too, I just wanted to so badly be able to play music and be a part of it. I didn't have like a lot of role models to go off of Brody Dowell or like Danita Sparks. The 90s feminist bands was the movement with that. Those were the bands I was still hanging on to and those were the bands that I wanted to be like. And thinking in my head, oh, if they did it, I could do it too. Not realizing the magnitude of what I was going through or what I was exposed to. And all of those front well, not, not just front people or front women, I guess you'd say, female presenting band members, 
are like these hard ass tough women that are like super cool as a female reading about these things you're like fuck yeah go on stage and fucking handle it and like you know guys cat call them and they punch them in the face like i was learning about these things when i was younger too thinking like this is who i want to be like i want to be this person and then you get out there and you're like i don't know i'm gonna be this person yeah it's just like okay this guy is like three times my size and that's just like you know 18 19 you don't even know who you are yet no not at all at least for me like having these men around me that were older than me that were like influencing me constantly in a way like i looked up to them i considered them safe people for me to be around because i wasn't or literally could not be around anybody else those were the only people i could trust kind of look to them to keep you safe in this environment where you can't where you're not even really supposed to be in like bar settings and stuff like okay you're gonna look after me right like yeah right so there's a lot of trust and vulnerability thinking like oh like in your head oh i want to be like oh, these women are female presenting uh, people in these bands and I, I gotta be tough like oh nothing can bother me at the time there was no space to have anything bother you like emotionally or mentally for other people you were just considered you were making a big deal about something you have to just deal with stuff or like shove it down oh it's oh nothing can bother me because that's what everybody expects out of you too right if you show any weakness at least back then if you showed any weakness at all people would just eat you live (laughs) so like they do that now too don't worry lots of situations happened while i was a part of that band mostly from the man that had found me on myspace at the time i didn't know it i just thought it was cool that i was getting these opportunities and i did i didn't want to mess it up in my head he was so mean to me and i didn't understand like what was happening i didn't understand this man is verbally abusive this man has these dominating traits. This man is trying to control me. It, it was just a really weird dynamic, like having this man be so mean to me and talk down to me constantly. At the time, I thought it was odd that he only dated women my age. And I thought it was kind of creepy and I didn't want him to get any ideas. So I ended up saying things like, oh, you're like an uncle to me. That's a real good way to put the brakes on that. (laughs) Or like do things, you know, on purpose to be a little bit more annoying and like sisterly like to put that wall between us because I was actually really nervous about that. I'm like, I don't want this older man, (laughs) you know, in my bubble. There were times that we would be playing music together and I would try to just like mention I think maybe I kind of want to play guitar for this part like what do you think and then he's like no we don't need you to play guitar you're singing stay in your box right stay in your box stay in your place this is this is your role this is what you do and there was no space given to me to actually be who I was. I don't feel like I was there because of me. I felt like I was there to fulfill a role for him, 
to fulfill his ideal front woman. Mm-hmm. And that's not who I was as a person. It would have been one thing to be like, we are only looking for a vocalist. You cannot do anything else. It's one thing to lay it all out, but just to constantly be denied these things of like who I am. Because if it was presented to me at the beginning, I would have had like an option. He had the opposite idea of where you were looking at people like Brody Dow to use the example that you used as like, oh, I want to be like this person. Like, and then he was looking at it as like, oh, if we do something like that, we can get people to come out to the shows because it's female fronted, put it on the poster. People will come out because we filled the quota. Yeah. And that's the thing. People did come out and that hurt even more because it was just like, oh, here I am on this stage on this platform. And I had absolutely no voice. And oddly enough, you had the microphone. Right. He would constantly say things that would define my reality. He'd say things like, oh, you don't think that, or, oh, you don't want to do that, or like, ha ha ha, why would you do that? Just kind of make a mockery out of the things that I really desired to do. When somebody is talking about the things that happen to them like this, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but the long-term effects of being psychologically abused are almost unexplainable. (laughs) The effects of having somebody talk down to you constantly, the effects of feeling like you're worthless because, you know, you're not actually valued. What people don't seem to understand or think about in the same way is that, you know, there's physical abuse and you can see it. It's the same thing as like, people who have illnesses that you can't see when you walk by them on the street, right? You don't know that they're having problems, but if you have somebody who's barfing up blood, you're like, okay, that person's got a problem. When it comes to physical abuse, it's something that you can see. You're like, oh, you know, you've got a black eye or you have some broken ribs. Verbal and psychological abuse is just like physical abuse. Imagine getting punched over and over day after day it actually changes what the body is, right? Like your brain is functioning in one way. You've kind of come up with an idea of who you are and what you stand for and what your morals are. And then somebody day after day after day pounds away at that. Eventually those start to change. Just like if someone's beating on your face consistently and it takes years to reconstruct those things back to the way they were or to, or even to a better state than they were before once you're able to remove that, if you are able to remove that. I don't think people really take verbal and psychological abuse as seriously as they really need to. No, definitely not. When you look at somebody, you're not able to tell how the other people in their lives are treating them. Like, there's no bruises. And the thing about psychological and verbal abuse is it usually falls on the victim when they start acting funny. And then, again, they're re-stigmatized and re-traumatized by like other people. The hardest thing about all of this is for almost 10 years, I had no idea that he was an abusive person. I knew he was mean, but in my mind, I was not informed. I was not aware of what abusive people do. You know, I thought verbal abuse was just like name calling, oh, you piece of shit, or like, oh, you're worthless. But no, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of being a dominant person trying to dominate somebody else. And and that was the mentality through that whole project of like the control. And when that project ended, I couldn't go to 
see music or a show or see a friend playing a bar for about five years, anytime I would go see music play, I would just break down and start crying because I felt used, I felt powerless, I felt worthless. I felt like I was just some token Mm -hmm. to have this man elevate his own platform by using my gender as something that he could gain something from. You know, you're seeing people do what you want to be doing or what you wanted to be doing. And like it re-traumatizes. Exactly. Most of the other people in the scene or in bands were also men. So when I would try to talk about this or I'd try to talk about how he was mean, I would literally just get the deer in the headlights look or the, well, maybe you should do this instead look. Like it was never about him. It was something's wrong with you mentality. Weird, that whole victim blaming thing that seems to pop up in so many of these circumstances. He seemed like a really nice guy. He's never done anything like that to me. So like, right. I bet you're a liar. Yep. Oh, oh, he's a good guy. Like hearing that one all the time. You don't know how good of a guy this is until the situation comes up where he actually has to do the right thing. Right. So after five years, this man had actually started another band, another feminist band in the area. At that time, that band had um, ended. Their new vocalist had ended that project. And I was living out of uh, state. And after about five years, I moved back and hadn't heard one single peep from this man. (laughs) And as soon as his band ended, he calls me up wanting to take the place of that singer and or start something else. Trade out one woman for other woman. Band will be success still. That's how things work. They're interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. You you both have breasts, right? Your hair's kind of long? Okay, great. You're in. So I had just moved back and actually started to look on Craigslist to look for people to jam with because I didn't have any of those old connections from when I was 19 because guess what? I (laughs) I couldn't make any. But um, I had started looking on, like, you know, websites like Craigslist, you know, newspapers and, like, coffee shop bulletin boards, because that's where you would look. There was no, like, Facebook groups. Definitely ended up jamming with some super creepy dudes (laughs) from Craigslist, which I don't recommend. Nobody do that. I mean, I just didn't have that healthy support from a scene at the time. And so he called me, and even though he was was mean to me in the past I'm like well you know maybe he's different now let's spend some time so we ended up hanging out and jamming and he was again trying to get me to be the vocalist (laughs) and I just kept bringing my guitar to practice and I wouldn't stop and he told me it wasn't working out I was proud of myself for standing up for like what I wanted and asserting myself yeah Um, which is something I never should have had to do anyway. (laughs) Shouldn't have had to, like, you know, he would literally tell me, like, hey, you you don't need to bring that. But I kept doing it. But that's the thing, too, is I actually was going through a divorce at the time, too, and ended up kind of 
dating this person for a little bit, explaining to him how hurtful he was to me in the past. We had some like heart-to-heart conversations. I explained to him how badly he treated me, how it felt. I opened up to him, you know, told him all these things, told him, yeah, I used to fucking hate you. (laughs) I flat out said that to his face. It's not like this stuff was not communicated to him. And at the time, still not knowing that the way that he was acting was abusive. Me just thinking, oh, maybe there was something wrong with me. Maybe I was just an annoying 19-year-old. Maybe I shouldn't have called him uncle so many times. Maybe I had done something to bring on this meanness from him, (laughs) you know. For people who haven't listened to this podcast before or aren't familiar with trauma responses and things like that, you dating this person afterwards is a total, like, understandable thing. Like, that happens a lot. It's a totally valid trauma response thing that people do where, you know, outsiders would look at that and be like, well, this guy was a dick to you. Like, why would you date him? Not understanding how this stuff works. So I just want to point that out to people who maybe don't understand how that works. Right, for sure. I'm really glad you pointed that out too, because logically it makes the victim seem like a liar. But in the world of trauma and how our brains work, this actually is what, you know, you do. It's a fawning mechanism because you want this person to be nice to you, right? And when I was younger, I would give him rides because he didn't have a car. I would be super nice. And I know now it was a fawning mechanism to try to keep me safe. And people always think of just fight or flight, but there is fawn and freeze. There is fawn and freeze. And another um, repercussion of this man's um, emotional and verbal abuse, too, was I missed out on so many opportunities because after being in that band, I tried to be in other bands and other projects. And whenever it came time to create a new song or do something that wasn't already rehearsed, my mind would go blank. I would completely blank out. And I blamed myself for years. You're just not getting it. You're just not getting what they're showing you. Or some of you try to show me a part or teach me something. You're just not getting what they're showing you. You know, even like trying to take guitar lessons, I thought I just sucked at guitar. I thought I was just really bad and I wasn't (laughs) like I was good. I just couldn't be vulnerable and creative around anybody else because my body would automatically shut down my brain so that I would be protected, so that I wouldn't have to experience whatever was happening. And that formed a trauma response. And it took so many opportunities away from me. And not knowing that that was happening to me And it affected me for years. It affected me for almost 10 years before I found out what that was and why it happened. I thought I just maybe sucked or it was slow or wasn't getting it or just couldn't learn as fast as everybody else. And I'd constantly blame myself and put that on myself, that feeling I just wasn't good at this instrument or I just couldn't play it correctly. And I feel like that also came out in my personal life too, not being able to properly express myself in a way and it really did stunt my emotional growth it would just throw me into these trauma cycles and these shame cycles of thinking that i'm wrong something's wrong with me i don't fit into this area or why did i 
throw myself into that situation. All these guys that are, you know, in this new band that I'm trying out for are all just looking at me like I'm a dumbass right now. (laughs) And they're like, no, you play like this. And then they slow it down and then they talk really slow. And my mind is just gone. I'm already experiencing like this trauma. And then to have other people reinforce that and not having the tools or the ability to articulate what is going on. And I think that that's another thing that people, you know, to go back to what we were talking about, the difference or the similarities between like physical and emotional abuse. It's not just someone was mean to you and it affects how you interact with them. It affects how you interact with everybody after that. Most definitely. It it very much does. That also goes back to, I think there's another podcast where somebody was talking about their early family life. If you don't have parents that are emotionally aware or like some kind of empathetic person in your life, that trauma hits even harder because there's nobody to talk you through it. There's nobody to guide you. There's nobody to even listen in a caring manner. These are just things that come up and then your brain tries to rationalize them. Is this me? Is this him? In my brain, it all just went towards me. Like, I am bad. I am wrong. I can't do this. I'm not good at this. And then just keep trying anyway for some reason. One of those effects can be like, oh, I have to prove myself and or other people I can do this which is also a pretty big thing to spiral. Like you just can't be, you can't be who you are. You can't just relax into yourself at any point. And you're already dealing with so much of that being a female in the music industry where like we were talking about, it's like one for every 12, you know, guys, there's one, you know, female facing person and they're expecting very specific things of you and to get to hit those expectations, you have to overperform more than a male would. It's the same with with jobs. I mean, it's the same with many things. Like you have to overdo it to make sure you get the position that normally a guy would just get for three notes or three chords, whatever you can tell I play guitar. Um, You know, (laughs) they can do three or four and you're hitting in every fucking solo in the world. And they're like, "Mm, we'll consider you. We'll call you maybe. Right. Exactly. You know, eventually, you know, I did... I did get away from this person. There were times that I would still run into him. You know, I found healthier people to be around. (laughs) But, um, you know, there's times I run into him. There was a time that I actually ended up booking and promoting a show. And my band had played at the show. He had just kind of like walked into the bar. Did he know it was your show? Yeah. Okay. It was an international woman's day so uh i'm glad to have you here sir super (laughs) stoked i had worked for months to put the show on you know he comes in and i was just like yeah my friend over here so good at guitar isn't she so good and then him immediately saying oh i've seen children play better than her no woman is better than guitar at guitar than me right only children and in my mind i'm like we had already talked about this i have literally spilled my guts to you to tell you how you were hurtful and this is part of it and that's the other thing too like he used to just completely talk about sexual things like unsolicited about different women and saying that they had daddy issues for like women he did he's like oh i like the ones with daddy issues you know just this constant putting women down 
when this person and I were kind of dating or whatever you want to call it, he would talk about how he loved to be in control. And that's why he was like a dom and loved BDSM and all this stuff. Which also, let's be clear, if you are legit into that, you know that the number one thing is respect and boundaries and stuff and not just being a dick for the sake of being a dick. There are times and places and spaces where that's appropriate, but if you know that is like a kink of yours, there are specific relationships that that is okay in, and it's not okay everywhere, every time to every woman. So let's go back a couple minutes ago. Any person who says, oh, I like girls with daddy issues, let's translate that to I'm an older guy who likes grooming younger women. That's what that means. You don't like girls mm-hmm. with daddy issues. You like to abuse women. Just wanted to throw that out there because I'm getting real sassy about it on this side. Just all of the times and all of the situations, whether it was directed at me or directed at other women in front of me, were completely abusive. <laughs> People think, oh, Well, they didn't say that to you, but if you say something like that in front of somebody who is just like or very similar to that other person, how is that going to make somebody else feel? (laughs) I know that there have been a couple other people who have reached out to us about some of the other guests' stories that have been on the podcast and the people that they have spoken about. And they also have noticed things like that. Well, they say things like, I didn't necessarily experience exactly what guest A did. However, I did witness this person making negative remarks about women consistently, slut-shaming them, fat-shaming them, talking down about women. And you don't really think about it always at, at the time it's happening. And you think, oh, well, they don't treat me like that. They, they value me in a different way. While all of this was going on, was there anyone who kind of had your back on this and was like, you know, supportive and had maybe even seen some of the same behavior? I wouldn't say that there was anybody supportive or pretty much absolutely not. But the complicated thing is that my other bandmates were really nice to me. A lot of the abuse would happen like when they weren't around. Surprise, surprise. Right. Or if it did happen, like if he would be talking about this girl with daddy issues like in front of me or something, they didn't do anything to correct that behavior either they wouldn't be like hey man that's fucked up the thing is all abusive behavior starts with verbal abuse you have to know what to look for it's things that define your reality it's dominating behavior the fact that i did have some really nice bandmates to kind of soften the hits a little bit (laughs) because they were really nice really supportive it was good but I also did not know I was being abused at the time there's no handbook for this situation there's no handbook for Mm -hmm. the person going through it every situation is so different it's really needs to be survivor centric and when it comes to situations like this it is very much on other men to stand up to speak out You know, so many people are concerned with being an ally nowadays. This is step one. There's so much ingrained behavior that you think is fine that is very off-putting to everyone else. And this is a textbook situation. And the other people in the band could have and should have said something. They probably were also nervous too. I mean, everyone in this scenario, when you have someone who's got this kind of domineering nature, 
or it's so normalized, you know, in our punk rock communities, especially back then, to have like this tough guy or tough girl persona as people didn't leave it as a persona. <laughs> you know, they took it into their lives with them because that's how punk rock works. In the early days of this bar, the kind of vulnerability and isolation due to the age, due to the locale of where you were at, you clearly would kind of run in the same circles. You'd see them. Did you have any like predetermined hesitation when it came to coming to these shows, like thinking that he was there? Did you feel like it was one of those scenarios where like, is he going to be there? Should I even go? You know, because I've, I've had that personally with people in the Chicagoland area where I straight up was like, I'm not going to shit anymore. I don't want to see these people. I can't physically, emotionally and mentally deal with this. I think what it was for me was that when I moved away, I completely isolated myself from music. So instead of being around it at all, I just, I couldn't. My body would literally just not let me. I would get so emotionally overwhelmed that I would have to leave like any type of music. And that ache in my heart to like not be doing what I loved was always there. I was so sad. I was so depressed. A lot of days I just laid in bed and stared at the wall and wished my life to pass, <laughs> you know, just kind of like, you know, I wasn't in alignment with my higher self. I wasn't doing what I was passionate about. I was making myself small for these other people by removing myself from these situations, completely just living this other life even though my heart was telling me to do something else. Now that I am older and now that I know he was abusive and now that I know I get triggered by these certain things and events, it is very hard for me to be around him. I don't exclude myself anymore, but it is even harder to be around this person now that I have the full picture and the full story. And I'm not blaming myself anymore. And then, you know, also finding out that this man has been sexually abusive to other women in our scene. It didn't just stop with me. He was not sexually abusive to me because there were things I just would not allow. I wouldn't even talk about it with him. It just don't fucking go there, right? But, you know, these other women, these other vulnerable women... Here, this man has this feminist band that he's hiding behind. And of course, who are the people that go see feminist bands? Other women, right? So he has access to all these other women, right? Almost like he planned it that way. Right. <laughs> you would think. <laughs> well, I've never used a dating app to date anyone. I have plenty of friends who have, and some have gotten engaged or married because of it. And that's great. I remember when they first were becoming popular and people were like, I met this really great guy. He's a feminist. And I was like, I bet he's a creep. And then like a year later, everyone realized that if a dude puts the fact that he's a feminist in his profile, like he is a hundred percent a creep. Oh my gosh. I feel like it's the same scenario, but transferred over to band form. Band form, real life, not just typed on the internet. Hey, let me hide behind this woman so I can use my platform against other women to abuse them. I don't know if the majority of the guests have seen this, but there's a triangle that shows you the hierarchy, I guess, or the, the building blocks of abuse. And it goes all the way up to rape. And it starts, as you said, on the bottom level with verbal abuse. So saying that he was sexually abusive to other women is not a stretch in any way. I mean, it literally is. It starts off with one. And, and the way that human nature functions, not just in this type of situation, is 
we get away with one thing and then we're like, what else can we get away with? Let's try a little bit more. And we try a little bit more and a little bit more. And the more and more we get away with things, the more we're going to test our boundaries. And that's just how the human brain functions. Yeah. And those abusive things are like normalized then in our brains and in other people's brains that are around us to think that, oh, this is okay. And not even to consider the person that is being abused, what they're going through and how much voice they don't have. Like this man had literally told me, oh, I thought that I was empowering you to use your voice. By telling you you're not allowed to do things. Yeah. Right, exactly. Okay. But I gave you the microphone. To say the words I decided on. You know, one time at this venue in town, um, we were loading in and the bouncer didn't believe me that I was in the band. I was the only woman in the room. What are you, a merch girl? Right. And he comes up to me and he, he says, you need to leave. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because this band's only. And I'm like, I'm in the band. And then he looks at me and he says, okay, he's, I'm watching you. If I don't see you up there, when this that band plays, I'm going to kick you out. And I was like, fine, dude. <laughs> and then, so I go and I tell my MySpace man, hey, this bouncer is being a complete dick. And he's like, stop making a big deal about it. Feminism. Right, exactly. So I have one of the biggest shows that I've ever played in my life at this really popular venue in town for this really popular international touring band. And I get told by my bandmate to shut up and nobody believes that I'm in the band. And there's other situations with, with that venue in town where other women friends play there. And also that venue not believing that they're in their band, not letting them backstage when they're supposed to be playing and literally having to have their man bandmates come get them and tell the bouncer, hey, she's in the band with us. They're literally showing their staff the picture of their band with them in it, not believing them and having to get their man... <laughs> I've told this story before, but I used to, in the, around this time, the mid 2000s, I used to tour with bands as like a merch person tour manager. And there was one band who had a woman drummer and probably, I want to say maybe half the shows that they played, we would walk in and the promoter or venue person, security, whoever would look at her and say, merch is over in this direction. And then I'd have to be like, uh, actually, she's the drummer. I'm the merch person. And because she would say, you know, I'm the drummer. And then there would always be, like you said, there would be that, what? Are you sure? Yeah, she's in the fucking band. Taking that on top of that and having your bandmate telling you to shut up. Right. Yeah. So you don't even get like the decent backing of somebody being like, no, no, she's with me. I promise. You're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Like, what are you whining about? We, I got you this big show. I got you this big show. I did you a big favor. Circling back to like the mental health part of it. I didn't know I was being abused. I didn't know these things were happening to me because he would say something like, oh, that person's a little bitch or something. But he wouldn't just look at me and say, you're a fucking idiot. Or, you know, the tone was never like super hostile. He would never scream at me. So I didn't know that these things he was saying to me were so psychologically abusive. 2019, I started therapy with the intention of trying to get to know myself. My band had just gotten back from a pretty big tour. Your current band? My current band, yes. 
nothing to do with this name. All right. <laughs> and you play guitar in this one, right? Definitely play guitar. And I'm like, okay, I don't need him. I can do this on my own. I can make a band. I can go on tours. And that's what I did. There came a point in time, like right around, you know, 2019, right before COVID, and more women were starting to speak up about how they were being abused, not knowing how I was abused, not having that information. So I felt like I have this platform and I need to take a step back to figure out what they're talking about. All this feminism stuff, like what is it? What is it really? Not what we were told it was. Realizing the responsibility that I had with the platform that I had as well. And questioning myself of whether I was even informed enough to have this platform, like as women or, you know, female presenting or pretty much anybody other than straight white man. Sorry, Rich. People expect you to be very informed because wherever you go, you are creating the space and you have this platform. And whether you might be only playing to 10 people, you might be playing to 50 people, maybe your band gets, you know, 25 plays a month, but those are still people that you're affecting. You're expected to know all these answers. You're expected to already know and already be able to create this safe space for people. And just taking a deep look in myself and realizing, like, I don't know if I have all these answers. <laughs> and so, you know, just kind of taking a step back to work on myself and get therapy. And in that process, I ended up getting a mentor, another female presenting person or has had the female experiences. I think they are non-binary at this point in time. But explaining the situation to them, telling them, yeah, when I have to play, or like create music, I blank out. And luckily this person was trauma informed and they told me, I think you're having a trauma response because that person had gone through something similar earlier in their life. They were able to tell me, hey, I think you're having a trauma response. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> After 10 years of dealing with this stuff, having somebody put it so gently with empathy and caring, and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> and it all hit me. And I'm just like, that is fucked up. <laughs> One of the things we talked about before the podcast ever started, and I think in the first episode and probably the second episode and probably a bunch of times on our Instagram, is that some of the inspiration from this came from how like sheltered and the clandestine conversations that have happened for so many years in regards to mental health and how that has finally moved its way into the forefront. And people now have podcasts about mental health. I talk to my coworkers about mental health. There are things called mental health days. Blessed be the me mental health day. There's so much more compared to where we were let's say in the early 2000s, there was no conversations about that. It was very rare that people openly talked about their depressive issues. I mean, I was on medication for antidepressants when I was in high school and it was a secret. Like you didn't tell everyone that you were popping Remeron at night because you got to get your shit straight. You did not talk about that stuff. And it's the same thing from what Rich and I have discussed. We see the situations with abuse, with you know the physical violence, the sexual assault, all of this is the same kind of formula as what happened with mental health. You had these clandestine conversations. 
a lot of people are going through these issues. And when you start to talk about these things and you don't have to go into whole detail, you know, you don't give what you want, but then you start to have these human connections like you mm -hmm. had with your uh, mentor. And then you realize you actually, and I know you've tried this with other people and it didn't work out so well, but it's, I think it's, you know, in the, the age that we're in now and you happen, happen to find the right person outside of therapy, which is also exceedingly important. And I think that everyone deserves a little bit of therapy in their life. Having these person to person conversations, you're going to end up finding something that fits. You know, there's so many times where someone can say something to you and it's, you don't hear it until it's said in the right way where your brain picks up on it. And maybe it took this mentor who has a similar situation, a similar punk upbringing to say the right thing in the right way for your brain to be like, shit, that's it. Or maybe no one ever said it before this person. I don't know. Because their situation was so similar to mine and nobody had said it before. Like even my therapist were just like, oh, just try to ground yourself without explaining that I think you're having a trauma reaction part because that put all the pieces together, right? So therapist is focused on your behavior, what you can do. I think just because their own experience and how similar it was to mine and how they were also abused, just how quickly they realized it and they were able to say flat out what it was. There was always this it that I couldn't name and they named it and that was exactly what it was. It was abuse. You know, when you hear someone else talk about something that you've been through, it's this realization of like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person. And I think it was that way. I think it's been that way for a lot of people when this wasn't really talked about. It's like, oh, no one else can understand what I'm going through because I'm the only person who's gone through this when there's so many people who go through it. 10, 11 years after the fact, and this is the first time I ever heard about it. That was the first person that had ever really validated me. Why was this information not accessible to me? In this section of punk rock, why was this experience so exclusive? I know I'm not the only person that has experienced this, but it isn't talked about. It's not. It's this weird dichotomy in punk and all subgenres of where there's this expectation because we're so free thinking and open-minded and out there and you know we're steps above everyone else and we should be you know we're more radicalized so we see things before they happen and we know how things are supposed to be and you know we saw the embracing of like neutral or they them pronouns and non-binary culture we were light years ahead of them in regards to the punk scene compared to regular society. But it's only certain things that we're really ahead in. And with for every one step we're ahead in, there's a million steps we're taking back. If you go back far enough in history, you'll find out that a lot of these abusive tactics in white history, because that just happens to be the one that's recorded. You know, when the industrial age was starting, people were starting to work in factories. People were kind of moving away from being in clans and having dukes and lords. People were expected to produce. So in this industrial age, it was encouraged for parents to use whatever tactic they could to break their child's free will. And whether it was through corporal punishment, uh, manipulation, shame, so that they could be a good member of society to participate in the industrial world. 
And looking at our culture and where this abuse stems from, because these things aren't just created, our society creates them, right? So with the industrial age and the rise of capitalism comes with this ideal that parents had to use corporal punishment on their children. And it's, once again, this effect of domination, breaking a child's free will, And all of this trickles down, men being the head of the house, blah, 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 women being submissive to them, breaks down into where our culture came from, where Western culture came from. You take people from different parts of the world, and they don't understand it. But, you know, in our Western culture, that's where this comes from, is this ideal of domination, this abuse and that is the foundation of our society anytime we're just being obedient and submissive as a culture we're literally just doing what generations of trauma have ingrained in us to not have a free will to be dominated over and just understanding where that comes from is really sad but in another way so freeing because you're like oh fucking people made these shitty you know societal norms and fuck that i was listening to propaganda today and i have loved that band since i was a teenager and uh, something that i realized listening to a couple of their records today i was listening to them but not really hearing them because they were talking about all of this stuff in like 1993 And if all of us white men would have actually paid attention to what they were saying, I don't think we would be in the situation that we are, at least not in as much as we are, because they were they were they were talking about all of this stuff, gender equality, you know, anti-misogyny, all of that shit. A hundred percent. And that's the part that I find to be so baffling for so much of this as a person who plays no instruments and basically maintains everything based on like lyrical content and everything else is like extra stuff to boost the lyrics. I always have followed the lyrics because to me that make or breaks the band. I know with actual musicians like you read, you probably listen to the guitar a lot more than the lyrics. Anything with a guitar solo, I'm like... Yeah, of course. (laughs) Those are your lyrics. (laughs) You talked about the importance of having the platform and what you're going to do with that platform. And that's one of the things that we've talked about on the the podcast. And I feel like there's so much picking and choosing where it's okay for this person to say this on this platform. I don't listen to their lyrics versus I love these lyrics of this band. Like, I feel like there's this weird, uh, I guess, caustic, like yin and yang to it all (laughs) where you can't pick and choose. If you're all in, you got to be all in. I'm a very black and white person when it comes, I don't do like gray area and stuff. So like, you're a lyric person, you got to be all in. So if the lyrics are like that pop punk piney bullshit where you're like, I don't know why she doesn't love me. So I'm going to go key her car type of bullshit. I'm out. But if it comes to like what Rich is talking about, yeah, I'm in like, let's, let's listen to it. Let's take, you know, some time. And I think that there's a responsibility of anyone who takes a stage. They need to understand kind of what you said, that there are people on the other side of that. It's not just like white dudes dicking off on stage with no one around. These are people that support you. You know, they pay money for your merch, for your albums, for to be there and see you dick around on stage. They're investing like their emotional time and space into your art and your content. There's something to be said about lyrics being written in a specific way. I'm not trying to keep people from conveying their experience, 
But if you consistently badmouth women, people of color, or just consistently purvey this white male mentality, that's what's being absorbed by your audience. And that is what's going to continue throughout the culture and the subgenre or the genre of the music that you're in. And I think what we're seeing, why there is so much pushback right now is we're not giving the white guys the mic consistently anymore. There's other people that are sharing the stage and they're bringing in other experiences that white straight dudes or people or just people in general, but mostly white dudes aren't as comfortable with because they don't understand that there are other points of view out in the world. And that, you know, when you have someone who's, you know, female presenting on stage, you know, shouting in like a hardcore band screaming about their experience of the world, it's going to be very different than, you know, someone pining after a woman because she didn't return his phone call including women into the conversation um, when you have somebody that is representing a specific group of people you automatically add those people into your conversation who starts showing up more at those shows all of those people are automatically added into the conversation and while people should not be tokenized but having representation having people that have a say and can use their voice and are actually empowered is so important because it creates this ripple effect from their platform. So, and that's the way I've always viewed it. Right. If you put a little bit of effort and you go a little bit outside of your comfort zone and you open up a little bit, you can create space for somebody. That person doesn't necessarily have to be better than everyone else to be included in that space. Everybody deserves that space. Everybody deserves to have some space created for them to be able to join the conversation, to be able to join the band, to be able to create that ripple effect within the band. Just having them will create that effect naturally. Um, It doesn't have to be forced. It can be a very natural thing that just happens. And a lot of bands are so focused on being good or being talented or having the right riffs. Are you still talking about the punk scene? Right. Having this record label like notice them or get on this tour. Create space for somebody. I don't care what you have to do. Create some space. Do not tokenize have them be a valued part of that space because that is now their space too. And you had mentioned a couple of times, I guess, like the long-term residents of the punk scene feeling uncomfortable with some of the changes, things going against their comfort zone. These are the same people that are like, when did punk get so safe? Is it safe? Because when did punk get so white? Let's throw some other people in there and Let's stir some shit up and make people feel uncomfortable. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing at the forefront of all of this? We're supposed to be doing all of these things that are better and more adapt and the antithesis of society. So if we're seeing a society that's filled with racism and sexism, don't we want to be the antithesis of that? When did punk get so white? It's so safe in the fact that it's the same band that's regurgitated over and over again with the same three to four similar looking people talking about the same things over and over. And whenever somebody breaks the mold for that, then we get this kind of bristly pushback because there's something that's happening that they're not used to. So I find it interesting that the when did punk get so safe crowd has been chiming that for the last like 10 years when we've seen more change in the last 10 years than we've had in the last like 30. And for the better, 
let's say, okay, we want more diversity in our band. It doesn't have to be perfect. Fumble through your words. Get out of your comfort zone. Make space for somebody else. Don't be fucking weird about it like MySpace, dude. Create that space. You're not ever going to have the right words. It's never going to be the perfect situation. You're including groups of people that were never included in the conversation. They're going to act differently. They're going to have trauma. Their words aren't going to come out right. They're going to be real quiet and feel really awkward. They're going to see things differently than you. Get through all those hiccups to see that person for who they are and include them into your conversation, include them into your band, include them into your music. You also have the responsibility to inform yourself so you don't re-traumatize this person or form a relationship with them that they're comfortable enough to say what their triggers are. Free resources that can help men. Attending classes for men who batter women organized by a local women's shelter. This might seem extreme to you, but remember, every time there's physical abuse, it starts out verbally. It starts out in the mind. It starts out with the belief system. And it's not the person, it's the behavior. You can have anger. It's what you do with it that matters. Can you sit with that anger? Can you pause before reacting? Put a little space between the situation and the reaction to it. If you are a victim, not everybody has access to therapy. If you can, find an empathetic person. Try to find people that are like you that have been through similar experiences. I know a lot of YMCAs have women's groups for survivors. What Kendra and Rich are doing here is amazing, but it's so important to have that interaction. As much as we want to think that people will reach out to us, that's not always necessarily the case. And we have to take that one more big scary step to get us around people that are going to hold us and love us and care about us and understand us. There's a book called, a series of books called The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans so clearly states what verbal abuse is. This book isn't just for victims. I believe everybody should read this book. Safer Spaces, Making the Spaces Safer by Shauna Potter. I know that Lady Fuzz scene from the UK has some pretty great articles in it as well. Don't Let Emotions Run Your Life by Scott E. Sprelding. It's kind of a workbook to kind of work through some of these emotions, to learn to put that pause between, get therapy if you can, be around other men who are struggling with the same things so you guys can talk and not put the burden on people to deal with your bullshit. The one thing that you had said before is bad is not a person, it's a behavior. Yes. That is such an important thing to remember both for yourself, because we all beat ourselves up mentally and verbally. And we think, you know, the absolute worst of ourselves, even if we're in the best, you know, overall mental health, we're, we're going to beat ourselves up at a time. We are not bad. Bad is a behavior. And when it comes to other people, I think that's such a eye-opening way to think about what's going on. It's not the person that's bad. They're engaging in actions that are not good. 
and they have the ability to change those. We all have the ability to change. You you always have the option to change who you who you were yesterday, who you were two years ago, and who you're going to be tomorrow. We have had a wonderful time. Thank you so much for taking this opportunity to speak with us and giving us your time to, to share all of this. We really appreciate it. So happy to be here in this emotional space with you guys as well. And knowing that you're doing this wonderful thing of creating space for people to grow and learn and vocalize and just you know have you're forming this community and it's a beautiful thing enough is a podcast centering on abuse harassment and assault in the music scene to help get the word out please like or subscribe and share with your friends if you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone be it artist venue owner audience member or someone else and would like to share your story on a future episode please reach out to us at this is enough podcast at gmail.com all correspondences are kept confidential